Hi, I'm Larissa Maestro, and this is my fantasy funeral. Imagine you are dead, but you get to design your own funeral. What songs will be played? Who will deliver your eulogy? And where will your remains rest forevermore? This is the scenario presented to my guest today. I'm Ryan Briegel, and you're listening to my fantasy funeral. My guest today is a musician who saw an opportunity to push classical music past the walls of the traditional symphony hall. In 2016, she co-founded the Nashville Concerto Orchestra, or NCO, a very inclusive volunteer community orchestra, which strives to avoid the common classical connotations of snobby and elitist. Within the NCO, any Nashville musician is welcome to participate, and it gives Nashville composers a chance for their newest works to be heard. As a cellist, my guest has certainly made a name for herself as an in-demand instrumentalist, having been featured on recent albums by Margot Price, Caitlin Rose, and Jasmine Cassett. Yes, she does sing in the popular 90s tribute act, My So-Called Band, and she plays in her own delightfully whimsical trio, Polly, spelled P-O-L-Y. But when Nashville musicians need cello on their records or on stage, they are sure to call my guest. She is Larissa Maestro. Before we speak with Larissa, let's hear a portion of a cello quartet she wrote and performed on Nashville Public Radio in September 2018. This is Lahim. to my fantasy funeral. Thanks so much for having me. Today we are going to kill you off and take a look at the funeral you would plan for yourself. Mm. But I wanted to begin by asking you, is your own death something that you think about very often? Uh, Yeah, I think about it all the time. I've thought about death all the time since I was a really small child, actually. And Uh, why do you think that is? Maybe part of it is because both my parents are scientists and we're not religious family I didn't grow up with really any sort of religion at all so there wasn't ever an answer for what happens and I think just the thought of of disappearing of myself disappearing maybe when I was a child was kind of scary uh I yeah I think about death probably every day yeah well we are going to hear the five songs that you have chosen to be played during your funeral But I understand that you had such a hard time narrowing your song choices down to just five. You have prepared a prelude for funeral guests to hear as they are arriving to your memorial service. What songs have you chosen to begin your funeral? I I basically decided to choose uh, several pieces of music, instrumental music that 
uh, have always been really important to me and that I'd like to share with people. Uh, the first one is the theme from Star Trek The Next Generation, which is, I think, the best TV theme song of all time by Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, and then uh, the Nimrod movement from the Enigma Variations by Elgar. Um, the Brahms E minor cello sonata, uh, probably performed by Yo-Yo Ma and Emmanuel Axe because they're like best buds and they're adorable. Um, the Ravel string quartet, he only wrote one and it's the best one. It's it's my favorite string quartet. Um, the theme from Anne of Green Gables, the CB, the original CBC Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> uh, it always makes me get a little choked up and it's very beautiful. And then um, I couldn't go without picking one of the movements from one of the Bach unaccompanied cello suites. So I chose the Saraband in G major. The Saraband is, is always the slower one. Um, and obviously that would be uh, Yo-Yo Ma. So after Yo-Yo Ma and Emmanuel have performed yeah. this prelude, what is the first official song that we will hear in your fantasy funeral? Uh, the first official uh, song is actually an entire cello concerto. <laughs> which is a three movement long uh, piece of music written for solo cello and orchestra. Um, and I'd want uh, to somehow Frankenstein Jacqueline Dupre back to life and just give the gift of that performance to everyone I love. It's She was the first classical soloist that I ever saw who was a woman who was profoundly passionate and uh, really feminine and and really powerful behind an instrument and it helped that she was playing an instrument that I was learning at the time she died of multiple sclerosis I think when she was in her early 40s and she had to stop playing the cello when she was in her early 20s because of the disease but during that short career that she had she became like a rock star like she was world famous and just sort of broke the mold for what a cellist was supposed to be uh up until that point cellists were always like kind of older very serious men like Rostopovich and Pablo Casals although like they're both kind of silly in their own ways they're they're like serious cellists and she was this like angel with long gorgeous blonde hair that she would flip back and forth when she played she was just full of life and she's probably the reason that I kept playing the cello because I saw her and I was like I can do that I can be a I can be a cellist she played every single note like it was the last note she was ever going to play she put like every ounce of whatever was in her at the time into every note of everything she played and especially this concerto which really calls for that magical
Elgar's Cello Concerto in E Minor, Opus 85, from the first movement, performed by Jacqueline Dupre. Larissa, your father is American and your mother was born in the Philippines. What is the story of their meeting? My mom had just come to the States, like, specifically to go to school. And uh, my dad, he went to uh, the University of Illinois at Champaign-Urbana, Midwestern farm boy, and, like... I don't know. I can just imagine like him seeing her and being like, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> he says he fell in love with her almost immediately. And she was like, he's a, he, this guy's a dork. Uh, but their first, their first date, uh, he took her skiing and she thought he was trying to kill her because she moved there from Manila and it's Wisconsin and it's cold and there's snow everywhere. She, but he made up for it later. He took her to see John Denver which I think is great and sounds very romantic. <laughs> Quite romantic. Yes. You, I think we're born in Iowa, but mm-hmm. then you all, you moved to Ithaca, New York. What was Ithaca like as a city to grow up in? Uh, oh, I call Ithaca the Shire. It's beautiful and lush and green, and it's full of forward-thinking progressive hippies, and there are, there's an amazing farmer's market and, it's like full of swimming holes and great restaurants and you know world class university and it it was a privilege it was uh it's kind of like this little island of progressiveness in in the sea of red upstate rural new york yeah. um a lot of people don't think about New York State when they think about New York, but New York's a really big state, and there are a lot of people that live on Manhattan, but the state of New York is a lot of farmland, a lot of dairy farms. It kind of looks like East Tennessee in a lot of ways. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful place to grow up in in this in this like tiny kind of uh, liberal bubble, and everyone's really supportive. I, I don't feel like I really experienced... Uh, racism until I left Ithaca everyone is really respectful because there are lots of different people coming from all over the world to go to Cornell and Ithaca College so um, people are pretty you know politically correct when they ask you about your your ethnic background and then I moved to Boston and they're not so (laughs) (laughs) careful about how they ask those questions Um, but I was I had the privilege of, of being in a sort of mecca in upstate New York for culture and, and music and and forward thinking. So I I had a very idyllic and and sheltered childhood, you know, and didn't and I was, you know, leaving Ithaca was like, oh my God, people are mean. <laughs> like people are like racist. <laughs> I didn't realize how like what the rest of the world was mm-hmm. like, you know. How much did your mother discuss her heritage when you were a child? A lot, a lot. Yeah, there are. Um, there's a actually pretty healthy Filipino community in Ithaca. Okay. Uh, my mom's the oldest of eight, uh, and so anytime there was family in town, it was like mm. a lot of family, <laughs> you know. So uh, knowing knowing a lot about that that part of my ancestry has always been really important to me. I understand there is a food tradition related to the loss of a loved one that your mother introduced to you when you were a child, yes? Yeah, that's true. 
So uh, it was passed on from her side of the family in the Philippines, and it's called spirit food. Um, so every like family gathering we have or like holiday where everyone's together and eating a meal together, we take a little dish and we put a little piece of everything we're eating at dinner on this dish. And we take it into a quiet room in the house. In my parents' house, it's this room that my mom claims is haunted for lots of reasons. Not scary haunted, but it has spiritual energy. Uh, And we go in there and we uh, turn off the lights and we light a candle. And we invite all of our loved ones, friends and family who have died to join us for dinner. And uh, then we talk about them. We go around and invite people who are special to us. Every time we do it, I get a new story about my grandmother or my Lola or about uh, my cousin Jason who died when he was 11 and I was like two or three years old. So I didn't really know him at all, but I get to hear about him. And so he, he's, it's like they're, they're with us, mm. you know. And then we close the door, we leave the room, and we, my mom says we let the spirits eat the food basically we give them some privacy and we let them eat the food and then we go back in and eat like everything on the plate we have to clean the plate like every crumb every like swipe of sauce has to be gone like literally licking the plate clean um symbolically and then we go about our evening and it's it's been really special for my family it means that we we end up talking about uh, people who are important to us, f- you know, for our whole lives, several times a year, which is really, really great. And you've carried this tradition on with your boyfriend Dan and with other friends, correct? Introduced them to mm-hmm. spirit food. Yeah, it's it's been really lovely. Uh, the last time uh, Dan's mom was in town staying with us, we we did spirit food, and that was really it was really wonderful because then Dan got to hear stories about relatives of his that had had died that he didn't know I got to to like know more about his family and know more about his mom and about his grandparents um and it it really just it it kind of just you know it's like a rice ball like sticks you closer together because you you have that much more information about someone's past and and someone's ancestry really um and I've had uh, like you know random friends who are around for holidays or something and and they'll my mom will be like, you're coming here, you're coming in, we're going to do spirit food now. And they're like, what, that sounds scary. And it turns out to not be scary and usually usually a little emotional. But I believe your second song choice is one you first heard when you were young, maybe because of your mother. Tell me about this song. This is a songwriter named Joey Ayala, a Filipino singer-songwriter. And we listened to a lot of his records when I was growing up. He... He has a beautiful, deep, uh, very gorgeous, rich voice. And I remember loving the way that he sang a lot. And then in particular, the way that this, before I knew what the song was about, um, really knowing that I loved the melody of, of the song and enjoyed it. And it's it's very Filipino in a lot of ways. Filipinos like to write very long melodies that kind of go on forever. Like you think it's going to be done and then it keeps going and then you think it's going to be done and then it keeps going and the chorus of the song is very very much that and it and it very much kind of lends itself to the what the song means 
the title of the song is Walang Hanggang Pa'alam, which translates roughly to the infinite goodbye or the never-ending goodbye. Um, and when, once I discovered, or once my mom kind of told me what the song meant, it just kind of meant more, even, you know, even more on top of loving the way it sounded. Um, so this would kind of be my little dedication to her. Diba tayo'y narito upang maging malaya at upang palayain ang iba. Ako'y walang hinihiling ika'y tila ganun din sa diay palayain Larissa, you have actually met uh, Joey Ayala, yes, when you were young? Yeah, I, I went to the Philippines when I was about 16. I feel like I sang with him somewhere at some club in Manila or something. But he was really kind. He was really nice to me. That's amazing. Um, yeah, he, it was really exciting, like, meeting this, like, voice that I'd, you know, when you sure. meet somebody that you've heard sing, like, all your life, especially someone who I, I like, what, who wasn't in American pop culture and I didn't see, it was like he was this mysterious person that almost didn't exist right. you know you studied at berkeley college of music but i imagine you had been playing the cello for years before that yeah is that right yeah well, how how old were you when you began i think i was about like seven or eight i want to say when i started playing the cello i played violin first and i hated it it was awful violin is really uncomfortable so and did that scare you from starting another string instrument no i was like i want cello Cello seems so much better. And what, what about better. it did seem that way to you? Uh, it's warmer and there's something comforting about it. It's uh, it's the closest in range and timbre to the human voice mm. of any of the string family. And I always, I always liked the power it had. It always seemed to have a lot more power than a violin did. Violins are so high. Um, and I, I love violin. I love this, the whole string family, but there's, there's something magical about the cello and it's, it was bigger. It just seemed cooler. <laughs> I begged for an entire year before I, I was able to get lessons. So they knew I was serious. Apparently in 2016, you and Nashville symphony member, Roger Wiesmeyer, officially put together the Nashville Concerto Orchestra. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to first talk about what makes a concerto different than other types of compositions like a symphony or a sonata, for yeah. example. 
Um, a concerto is a piece of music written for orchestra and a solo instrument, or sometimes two solo instruments. Um, so the focus is really on the soloist. Uh, and the reason why we chose to do uh, concertos is because most people don't get to play concertos. You get to play a concerto if you're Yo-Yo Ma. Uh, you don't get to play a concerto otherwise. Like there's no outlet for it, you know. Um, and even beyond that, there are so many. There's so much in the concerto repertoire that's written for instruments that are not super popular. Uh, for example, Vivaldi wrote like a million bassoon concertos. Nobody performs them because there are no superstar bassoonists in the world. So we get to take from this repertoire and and really give people a chance to 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 be a soloist. Um, so as far as the the classical world goes, there are so many people in the symphony that haven't played a concerto since they were in college, and now they get this this thing they they probably worked on for like a year to get good at. They never got to perform it except for at a jury or like a recital when they were in college. So we give them a chance to do that. Um, in addition to giving giving people like me a chance to like play with an orchestra again, which is so fun and and also moving. It's like there's something special about making music with that many people at the same time. That's probably the closest I've ever felt to to being spiritual. And I'm guessing, given this opportunity for people that haven't had it, and it's all volunteer, the response has been good. People you haven't had problems finding no. people to volunteer. That's wonderful. <laughs> no, yeah. it's. I mean, we also like feed everyone. We also give everyone certainly a helps. pizza lunch, <laughs> too. But uh, we donate all our proceeds to charity, so so it doesn't feel like we're using anyone. It's, it's not like, come play on my record for free or like, you know, come you know play at my release party for free it's like come play a concerto that you wouldn't ever normally get to play with us and we'll raise money for like the oasis center or um for you know yeah rock camps or something like that that's wonderful yeah it's been great (laughs) tell me about the third song that you've chosen this is uh they can't take that away from me by george and ira gershwin performed by ella fitzgerald and louis armstrong and I chose this version. I mean, I don't think there is another version really that exists that I like better than this one. Um, and I hope that at my funeral, people will hear it and think about the the small moments that we shared together, the little tiny intimate moments, um, because I feel like in those moments are where the the big stuff really lives. Like in, you know, just like, hanging out and like having a laugh over something or like you know helping someone move into their house or you know holding someone's hand when they were sad or that's I think what particularly Ira Gershwin got really right in these lyrics it's like it's always tiny thing tiny thing huge thing tiny thing tiny thing huge thing and it's that's that's really where I feel like like friendship and love really live or in these itty bitty tiny little gestures and moments and on top of that I just don't feel like anyone can not smile when they're listening to these two people sing together it's just not possible it's it's just and you can you can hear that they're looking into each other's eyes when they're performing this because they recorded all of these things live so they're really talking to each other (laughs) so it's a friendship you're like listening to a friendship and you're listening to 
two people talk about how grateful they are to have known each other. So that's what I hope that that uh, that does for for my loved ones. We may never, 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 never meet again on the bumpy road to love. Still, I'll always, always keep the memory of yeah, the way you hold your knife, the way we dance till three. The way you change my life. No, no, they can't take that away from me. No, they can't take that away from me. Will you repeat that again, dearie, please? No, they can't take that away from me. Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong singing, They Can't Take That Away From Me. Larissa, you are a member of Nashville's most popular 90s tribute act, a group (laughs) called My So-Called Band, which plays shows throughout the year to especially large crowds on Halloween and New Year's Eve. I believe this group was formed originally by musician Dave Paulson, maybe more than 10 years ago. How did you get involved in the group, which very respectfully recreates everyone's favorite songs from the 1990s? (laughs) It's a it's a funny story. Um. I think it was their second show at Exit Inn and I was just hanging out because they were all my friends. Um, Jordan Caress and Tristan were singing with them at the time. Um, it w- And it was just, you know, a raggedly put together show. And uh, I think they were singing Stay by Lisa Loeb. And I was like, I know all those backgrounds. And Jordan was like, you're coming up on stage then. And then after that, I was just in the band. Easy enough. <laughs> very, very easy. But I've been singing with them for, for like 10 years now. It's It's been a long time. And, and we've all kind of, I mean, we've been, we were friends at the time, but we've all kind of become a family in a lot of ways because we've been, we've been doing this for, for a decade. That's crazy to think. It's been an entire decade. It's been the length of the 90s mm. now that we've done, <laughs> that we've done this band. In singing all these songs for 10 years, have you discovered anything interesting about your own singing voice since you're basically required to sort of impersonate many different vocalists? Yeah, that's a really, that's a great question. I know when I'm doing an impression and when uh, I really feel like this is the way I would naturally sing it and it just sounds right for the song. Um, And I've been able to kind of navigate that in my my own music and really push myself to see what I'm capable of I've discovered that songs that I sing with 90s band that feel natural to me love fool by the cardigans (laughs) totally feels natural 100% natural I don't feel like I'm putting on a voice at all uh Fiona Apple feels very natural to me but when I do like no doubt that's a voice I'm doing a voice when I do Britney Spears that's a voice I'm putting on I'm doing an affectation I'm doing a an impression and you don't have to name song titles but I would guess there are songs from the 90s that you are expected to perform but you strongly dislike is that the case yeah I mean there are a few there I mean I used to like go up and like get crazy on baby got back when I was younger 
when I was in my 20s and now I'm like, oh, no. Um, oh, come on, ride, ride at the train. I hate doing that song. People love it. We do it every New Year's Eve right before midnight because people love the woo woo, all that. It's just so dumb. And I also people love Steal My Sunshine. I can't. I can't. It's <laughs> it's a stupid song. <laughs> I was afraid you would be too candid or secretive about these songs, but I'm glad you were no. open and honest. No. I love it. Everyone in 90s band knows I hate these songs. <laughs> How do you get through those songs every time? Um. I don't know. I'm a professional. <laughs> that must be the answer. Yes. <laughs> I just, I just do it. You know, can, there's an end in sight. Yeah. For it's three minutes. Yeah. It's only I three hope. minutes. I can do this for three minutes. And, and, and it does help that, you know, you look out into this crowd of drunk people and they're having a great time. So I know that not everyone feels this way about Len. It's they like it. It doesn't matter if I like it or not. They want to hear it. And that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. Sorry, Lynn. I'm sure that you're nice Canadian people. Your fourth song choice is one I believe you performed with my so-called band countless times. And perhaps you love it more and more every time you sing it. What is this song? This is uh, Always Be My Baby by Mariah Carey. <laughs> Am I correct? Does it get better and better every time? It really does. It really does. I feel like this is one of the most perfect pop songs. I I was working on the playlist and I was sitting on on our on my porch with Dan and I got to the I had put this song on the list. I was listening through to songs. I put this song on and as soon as it started I just started crying. <laughs> like right away. I was I thought about the people I love that really know me really well. And I th- I thought about like seeing their faces if they were at my funeral and they heard the song unprompted, you know, complete, like completely unprompted, didn't realize that, that it was coming and that it really feels like me. It feels I, I don't wa- I don't want people to feel sad, really. I know that it's important to feel sad when you're grieving. But I thought about how when you're listening to this song, you can't help but get down a little bit and you can't help but but sing along to some of those riffs and like move your little hand like Mariah does. And and it's I I just felt like it would bring a little bit of joy. But then also at the same time, it has that the message of of being grateful for having known someone and knowing that you'll always be a part of each other. Um, I know it sounds like cheesy, but it's like of, of almost all the songs that I put on this list, I was like, I was losing it. Like listening to it and thinking about, thinking about that, thinking about my, the people that I love hearing this and, and thinking of me and, and hopefully, hopefully maybe imagining that, that I sound just like Mariah Carey and I'm singing it to them, (laughs) which is my wish anyway.
Mariah Carey and Always Be My Baby from her album Daydream. Larissa, I believe you are quite fond of the key change that Mariah Carey works into that song. Do you feel that maybe there are not enough good key changes in modern pop music? Absolutely. It's it serves a purpose. It it makes you feel elevated. It it like it brings your mood to a new high. I would I would say modern pop music it never happens unless it happens a million times in Love on Top by Beyonce and then we Constant really yes and moment. then we're like whoa 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 what wait another one what because she's like guess what it works every time before we hear your final song choice have you thought about the person you would choose to deliver your eulogy yes i have who is this person and I did say originally it could it can be someone who is not living, but also someone who is fictional. Yes. I want Captain Jean-Luc Picard to deliver my eulogy. <laughs> uh, probably like season five, Jean-Luc. Uh, like Darmok around that time, probably. After the inner light, after he's like lived an entire life in 10 minutes, you know? <laughs> Anyone who's, who knows me at all or has had any sort of interaction with me knows that I am a lifelong, very deep Trekkie. Uh, and Star Trek is where I... Star Trek The Next Generation in particular is like my place of comfort. When I feel like everything is crumbling around me, um, I, can go, I can go to music and I can go to Jean-Luc Picard... And I can hear him talking about, I can just listen to him give one of his beautiful monologues about autonomy or about uh, freedom or about respecting all kinds of life. He's written in this beautiful, like wise sort of way, but like he's, but he's still like, a, he's a thespian. Like you can, the way that Patrick Stewart plays him is he just, it just makes me cry. I can watch a Jean-Luc Picard speech and it just makes me cry. Measure of a man, crying. Um, uh, <laughs> just just thinking about him advocating for Data's rights as as an individual, as a as a life form. It's he's it's magical. Picard's my captain, and he always will be. <laughs> the captain is there, and he's speaking. Is there anything in particular you would want him to read? Yes. So, um, and this is, this part is for my dad. Both of my parents are scientists. My dad introduced me to Carl Sagan when I was really young. Carl Sagan actually lived in my hometown for a while. I had a biology class with one of his daughters. This is about, I think the, the Voyager probe took a photograph of, of the earth from like really far away, like from past the rings of Saturn far away. And he wrote, about it, about his feelings about seeing this photograph of where we live from so far away and it looking so tiny. And this is, I'm just like, just, I'll read a little bit of it and you can just imagine that Patrick Stewart's reading it. <laughs> that's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever lived, lived out their lives. The aggregate of all of our joys and sufferings, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, 
every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilizations, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every hopeful child, every mother and father, every inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. Like how, how beautiful that perspective. I think I've always felt like comfort in feeling small and insignificant, like comfort in, in feeling like I'm part of, like I'm just a tiny speck of nothing in this, this bigger thing that always made me feel like when thinking about death, that gives me comfort when I think about death. So I think I hope that, you know, hearing, hearing that, hearing that perspective, hearing how connected we are, how tiny we are, will, will maybe bring comfort to the people that I love. And I think maybe it will bring them comfort, especially if it's coming from Captain Picard. <laughs> Even more so. Yes, yes. Man, that always gets me. That always kills me. It's so good. Perhaps we'll end maybe on an upbeat song. Yeah. For your fifth and final funeral song, you have chosen another fantastic duet. Tell me about this song. Uh, this is probably my favorite recording of all time. Again, you can when you're listening to it, you can tell that they're the two singers are actually looking at each other they were also like best friends um i i can't see horror movies i just should never see them they're not for me but i went to see hereditary with dan because it was his birthday and it destroyed me i started crying like 30 minutes into the movie and i didn't stop crying until we got outside so it like because it's about like inherited pain like it's just and I was so thrown by it and so uh affected by it that I couldn't shake it 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 was making my muscles feel weird I there was so much emotion running through my body I couldn't handle it so we got home and I was like what is the happiest song in the world like, what, what is it? What's the happiest song in the world? And it's this song. This song is that song. And I put it on, and I listened to it three times in a row. And it was the only thing that was able to get me through it. Because there's there was magic in the studio this day. The Like, the song itself is is also, like, about friendship. It's about being there for your friends. But But whatever, I don't know what they did. Out of every duet that Tammy Terrell and Marvin Gaye ever recorded, this one, there's there's fairy dust on it, you know? I, I realized that what I was thinking about when I made this playlist was uh, the people who I'm leaving behind and how I, I don't want them to be sad. I want to help them as much as I can through it. And this song always makes me feel better. Like, always, no matter what is happening in my life, this song always makes me feel better. This is Ain't No Mountain High Enough, Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell. Listen, baby, ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley low, ain't no river wide enough, baby. If you need me, call me, no matter where you are, no matter how 
Tammy Terrell and Marvin Gaye singing Ain't No Mountain High Enough, Larissa Maestra's final fantasy song choice. Larissa, have you thought about what you would like to happen to your body after you die? Yes, I have. I've thought about this a lot. I've been thinking about this for years. Um, I hate the idea of being embalmed. I hate the idea of being cremated. Um, I hate the idea of my body being buried in, in a casket that can't decompose. But I read uh, several years ago about this uh, Italian company who had, and it's illegal there too, so they can't even do it there. But they had invented this burial pod. This might be a little gruesome for some people to, to hear, but this stuff, I can't do a horror movie, but I can talk about this. This is fine. Um, they like let your body naturally soften after you've died, and then they fold you up into the fetal position, which is how you were when you were coming to life, basically. And they put you in this pod, and then they plant a sapling right above you, and the, the pod itself is, is compostable. And then you decompose naturally, and you basically become part of this tree that's growing. So I want to be in... I want to be a tree and I want to be a sugar maple tree so that maybe one day someone can tap tap the sap and make me into a nice, delicious maple sugar candy. <laughs> uh, and I want to be uh, planted behind my childhood home my, where my parents live, uh, right by Six Mile Creek, which is also where my sister got married. Um, and it's beautiful back there. And... I think it makes sense for a maple to go there. It's right on the edge of this large wooded area, and that's that sounds good to me. I think it's a very nice thought. Yeah. I thought it might be fitting to send you out on a triumphant note <laughs> and allow us to hear the theme song that you have called your favorite television theme song ever. Yes. So as we say goodbye, we will hear the theme for Star Trek The Next Generation. I hope that makes you happy. That makes me very happy. This has been so nice. Thank you, Larissa Maestro, for taking us through your fantasy funeral. Thanks so much for having me. This has been great. My Fantasy Funeral is brought to you by We Own This Town. Full versions of the songs chosen today can be heard on our Spotify playlist. Find out more at myfantasyfuneral.show. I'm Ryan Briegel. Thank you for listening.